And let's open our Bibles to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40 through 48. Isaiah 40 through 48. Old Testament book of Isaiah. We are so thankful that we can meet together. We are in the sanctuary and we're treating the fellowship hall as a sanctuary this morning. You know what the word sanctuary means, don't you? Safe place. And uh, so uh, we're trusting the Lord that this is a safe place for you to rest, a safe place for you to be at peace, a safe place for you to renew your strength. Amen? All right. And uh, so Isaiah chapter 40, let's pray real quick before we look at God's word. We're going to focus on a couple of passages of scripture, but Lord, thank you for your word. You've been very good to us. You've been very gracious to us. You love us with an everlasting love. Lord, we've seen you working in our midst, and we pray in your precious name that you would help us to put these passages of Scripture in context for our daily living. In Jesus, your most precious and holy name we pray, amen. Our focus is going to be on chapter 40, verse 27 and following. I'm just going to read the first verse, then I'm going to introduce everything to you. Why do you say, O Jacob, 27 of chapter 40, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? Now, that sounds like a complaint, and it is. It sounds like uh, the children of Israel are upset because the Lord doesn't seem to be doing anything for them doesn't seem to be there to work in their behalf. He doesn't seem to be there to help them through their problems. I'm living my life, but it's hidden from you, Lord. You don't even know what's going on. I have a just complaint, and you don't even take a look at it. That's what the children of Israel are saying here. Now, before we go any further, I want to kind of introduce all this to you. I hope that you're going to be reading the daily Bible reading in Isaiah this week. I hope you're going to be doing. Number 40, chapter 40 was last yesterday, and the rest of the chapters uh, that we're looking at today are this coming week. But I hope you're doing that. But let me ask you a question. When you do the daily Bible reading, what does it do for you personally? What does it do for you personally? I have noticed for years now that daily Bible reading calms my emotions. Have you ever noticed that? It gives me a different perspective on almost everything. You're going to hear all kinds of ideas about life and the way things go and the way things are. And every time you go back to the Bible, it gives you a different perspective one often that we don't think about all the time, usually. It, that's what it does for me. I don't know what it does for you, but I hope that's the case. Now, what I like about Isaiah 40 through 48 is that this describes God's future plan for Israel. You say, well, that leaves me out. I'm part of the New Testament church or the church in the in the, in the New Testament era, um, and um, that's Old Testament, and that's Israel. 
No, no. If you will carefully read Isaiah 40 through 48, you will discover that God does not leave his future plans out for anybody. He describes his future plans for Israel. He describes his future plans for all of the nations on the face of the earth. And you and I can very easily personalize that. Now, I see in Isaiah 40, and this is the amazing thing about this whole passage of Scripture. I see in Isaiah 40 through 48 a battle of the wills. It's unmistakable. When you read these passages of Scripture, you're going to look at this and say, my goodness, Israel sometimes is stubborn, arrogant, and has decided it's going to do what it wants regardless of what God says. And sometimes Isaiah dresses Israel as being fearful and dismayed. And I suppose you can kind of categorize yourself. You can put yourself in one or two categories. Are you going to be among the Israelites who are going to say, you know what, I'm stubborn, I'm going to do what I want, I don't care what God wants me to do? Or are you going to be among the Israelites who are fearful and dismayed and have no positive outlook for the future? Well, he addresses both. But what God does in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40 through 48, and I've read it over several times, several times, just to make sure that this impression is what I should be left with, and that is this, that God is sovereign over everything. He says to Israel, you don't want to line up with my plan, okay, It will have its consequences, but you need to understand, I still have a plan for Israel, and I'm going to follow my plan. You can try to frustrate it all you want. The nations of the earth, you can try to frustrate my plans for the nations of the earth all you want, but it doesn't matter in the long run because I am sovereign over the whole universe and the whole earth. I love what he says And uh, several times in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40 and following, he says, says, who do you guys compare me to? You build these idols and you compare me to somebody or something. Who do you compare me to? You shouldn't compare me to anybody because there's nobody to compare me to. And then later over in chapter 45, and you have this throughout those chapters, you have... You have God saying, you know what? There's no other God. You know, you think there might be other gods out there, but there's no other God out there. I'm the only one. It's just me. (laughs) So I don't know what you think you're planning. I don't know what you think you're doing when you go out there and you kind of imply that you can serve a multiplicity of gods out there and build idols to them. I'm the only one. There's no other And so I I love how he handles that. But uh, so God is sovereign over nations, but God is also sovereign over nature. I think you should do this. When you read Isaiah 40, every time God talks about his control of nature, what I did in my Bible, 
uh, is I took a little block and I blocked in every verse where God describes his control of nature. For some reason, it's a big thing for God to describe his sovereign control, not only over nations and peoples, but over nature. And I'll tell you how many I came up with. I came up with 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, oh, over 30. Just in those chapters. Why is that important? Well, let me make a quick application for you. Let me make a real quick application for you. Okay? There's something out there called this COVID-19. Right? You've heard about it. You've heard about it. And it seems like we're devoting all of our attention to the environmental factors that spread the virus. No, I'm not minimizing that. I understand that. I understand that. But if you will read God's Word and pay attention to how He controls nature you will understand that God has environmental factors that he has in place to prevent, mitigate, and stop the spread of the virus as well. Are you aware of that? Oh, I haven't been thinking about that. Not at all. You will after you read Isaiah 40 through 48. You'll come away from that saying, oh, I've been spending all my time thinking and worrying about the spread of the virus. And I don't realize that God has environmental factors that he has in place to prevent, mitigate, and stop it. And not only that, I didn't even bring in the issue of miracles. I'm just talking about how God works in nature. But you have that whole issue to deal with as well. So reading Scripture, reading God's Word should put your mind at ease and should help us to go forward. Now, let's look at Isaiah chapter 40, verses 27 and following briefly and um, see if we can glean a couple of very important principles to keep in mind. We already mentioned that in Psalm 27, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? God is saying that through Isaiah, and the point that he's trying to make there is, why are you saying that? Like, you shouldn't be saying that. Because your just claim is never going to be overlooked by the Lord. And your way is never going to be hidden from the Lord. And once again, if you'll read 40 through 48, you will definitely come to that conclusion that, boy, they're under some big misunderstanding if they think that God doesn't care what's going on and isn't somehow involved in what's happening. We sit around and we worry about things like new normal. Doesn't that put terror in your thoughts? New normal. What's new normal supposed to be? Let's put it in context for just a moment. If you have your Bible, go back to Psalm 42 and see if this sounds familiar to you. Psalm 42. Just see if this sounds familiar to you. All right, I'm going to just read a few verses. I'll stop whenever we get the point. As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. 
my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Now, you don't know the context till the next, next statement here. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept the pilgrim feast. But now I'm depressed because I can't go to the temple. I can't join with my, my family and friends and my neighbors. And God says, why are you cast down on my soul and why are you disquieted within me? Put it in proper perspective. Hope in God for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. This isn't the end. This, this whole thing wasn't the end of praise. It wasn't the end of thanksgiving. Won't be the end of prayer. Now, in verse 6 and following, he says, I, you know, I have to go out in the mountain to pray. I have to go by the Jordan River, and, and I have to go to the heights of Hermon, and I have to go to the hill Mizar. That, that's the only place we don't know where that is. But when I'm there, I see the power of God, and it encourages me. And so he says again, hope in God, for I shall yet praise him to help my countenance and my God, implying that we'll get back to church soon. Does this sound familiar? Can't tell how many times I've gone over that passage of Scripture in my mind. Now, the answer to the question why do you speak, my way is hidden from God, my just claim is passed over by my God? The answer to that question is, no, God doesn't, doesn't hide from you or refuse to help you. And there is a passage of Scripture that if for a moment it looks like he does, it's only a temporary moment. Don't worry about it. Later in Isaiah, don't worry about it. Seriously. That's the impression that God wants us to have. Now, here's how he describes himself, all right? Have you not known? You should know better, he says. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting, he doesn't just say God. He says, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So he's everlasting. You know, we, we live in a day and age when society acts like God is dead. You know, we thought the God is dead movement was over in the 60s. Those of you who didn't grow up in the 60s, there was a God is dead movement. And I love the beautiful one-frame cartoon that showed a sign, a sign that was stuck in the ground with a placard on it that said, God is dead. And then the second frame showed a vine that grew up from the ground and... Uh, completely blotted out the word dead. So what does it say now? God is. I loved it. But back in the 60s, that was the idea. God is dead. No, God is everlasting. He's not going to die. And so he is not only that, but remember I told you, I said there's 30-some passages of Scripture here that describe God's sovereign control over nature. 
Here's what he says in 28. This is one of them. The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth. As you read through, you definitely want to mark those passages of Scripture that describe God's sovereign control over nation, over, over nature. The first one begins in verse 12 of this very same chapter when God says, who has measured, verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? That's pretty powerful. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And calculated, measured heaven with a span and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Who has been his counsel? Who gives God advice? I don't know if you're ever tempted to do that, but, you know, sometimes, sometimes as human beings, we kind of do that, don't we? We don't mean to, but we say, boy, if I were God, I would do this. You ever do that? We give him advice. Nobody gives God advice. Doesn't need your advice. He doesn't need my advice. He is perfect in his understanding. He doesn't need counselors. Who's going to instruct him? He doesn't need instructors. He doesn't need to be taught about anything. That's what verse 14 says. And then he goes into the first passage of Scripture about nations. All the nations are a drop in the bucket in his eyes. Well, that's pretty incredible if you ask me. Now, boy, say, ah, well, Pastor, I can see where that kind of stuff can calm your heart. Yeah, he can. He doesn't faint. He's never weary. Isn't that what it says? He never faints. He's never weary. He never drops out of the race, so to speak. You ever been in a race where you've uh, had someone drop out? Actually, I've been in, I tried to go out for track in school, but I'm the one who dropped out more so than anybody else, so I stopped track. Have you ever been in a situation where someone said, you know, I'm too exhausted to go on. I can't go on. You go on ahead without me. God doesn't do that kind of stuff. He never faints. He's never weary. He's never too tired to pay attention to what's going on. He's never too tired and say, oh, I just can't do anything today. I'm just too tired. I'm just too weary. I'm just too upset. I'm just too depressed. I just don't have the strength to do it. No. Isaiah 40, God wants you to know, God wants me to know, God wants the world to know, because he addresses everybody in the world that, listen, I'm God, I'm, I'm, I'm all-powerful, <laughs> I can do what I want, and I got plans, and I'm going to accomplish those plans whether you want to work with me or not. That's what he says. So what is our responsibility? In verse 30, the Bible says, verse 29 and 30, he gives power to the weak, there's where we are. To those who have no might, I think we would be identified with those Israelites who are fearful and dismayed. And maybe not the stubborn ones and the arrogant ones who say, I just want to do what I want. This certainly is addressing those who know the Lord, but they're just just a little timid about acknowledging the fact that deep down in their heart, they're positively sure that everything is ultimately going to be okay. They've got these doubts, these fears. 
Uh, that's where I am, verse 29. To the weak, to those who have no might, he does what? What does it say? He increases strength. Even the youth shall faint. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But those who what? Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Those who wait on the Lord imply a lot of things. I wish there were like five different applications here to give you just so that you felt like you had a lot of stuff to go home and do. But you and I are supposed to go home and wait on the Lord. Not on anybody else, not on anything else. We're to wait on the Lord to accomplish his plan and his purpose. That's what we're supposed to do. And that means we're going to hope in the Lord, right? That means we're going to be patient. That means we're going to do what God wants us to do, regardless of what we see happening around us. We are going to wait on the Lord. And here's the final promise, and with that we are done. If we wait on the Lord, we shall renew our strength. We shall mount up with wings like eagles. We will run and not be weary. We will walk and not faint. Two promises here. Number one, we shall mount up with wings as eagles. And number two, we will run and not be weary, walk and not faint. So let me say the second one first. You and I will get our second wind. And anybody who has uh, runs or swims, I can't, I can't tell you how wonderful it is to get your second wind. I got it in swimming before I got it in running. But boy, when you're swimming and you're dead tired and you're exhausted and all of a sudden something kicks in and now you could swim forever, that's getting your second wind. And when you're out there running, and I remember that until I, um, uh, until I would run longer distances, uh, I didn't know what a second wind really was in running. And then when I got my second win, I couldn't believe it. I could run for miles and miles and miles. God says you'll get a second win. But first and foremost, he says that you and I will rise above all of the problems that we're faced with. We'll rise above all of the problems that we're faced with. Why does he use the eagle as an example? Eagle's a bird. There are lots of birds out there. Big birds, little birds. I never knew this till I went to a pastor seminar one time where we got a scientific description of an eagle. Did you know that God created the eagle with feathers and something else we call it, I forget, that give it the ability to fly higher than any other bird? He can, go, he can go above every bird out there because the way God designed him, the way God designed his feathers. It's like he has a double, double airlift pattern that he, that's developed in the wings when there's a lift. And God says, you and I can rise above just like an eagle. Let me close with this illustration. Okay, J.C. Penney. J.C. Penney, back in 1929, that was the stock market crash. And it looked like J.C. Penney was going to have to declare bankruptcy. He was going to have to end his business. Now, J.C. Penney knew the Lord. 
J.C. Penney loved the Lord. J.C. Penney patterned his business. And so he was really, really struggling with the fact that things weren't going very, very well for him. And he began to worry and worried so much that he couldn't sleep at night. And he worried himself into an extreme case of the shingles. So bad and so severe was the pain that he had to be hospitalized. Some people will tell you that there's no more severe pain on the face of the earth than shingles. So he was given tranquilizers, but it didn't help him. He still worried about his business. One night he felt that he was going to die before morning. He started writing farewells to his wife. He wrote one to his son. He wrote some farewells to his friends. But the next morning as he was lying on the bed, he heard singing from the hospital chapel next door. You know the song. No matter what may be the test, God will take care of you. Suddenly, he started to think about that like he had never thought about it before, apparently, and said, it's real, it's true. God does love us. He does care for us. He jumped out of his bed. He went into the chapel and then it's as if God changed his whole disposition and feeling about what was happening to him. And he felt, as it were, like a bird suddenly freed to fly out of a dungeon into the sunlight. From a living hell to paradise. That's how he describes it, apparently. Listen. God is God. Amen? All right. Do I need to say any more about that? Now, we're going we're gonna to sing this song. It's in the hymn book, but we're going to put it on the overhead here. Jesus is Lord of all. It's our invitation number this morning. Changed it. But I want you to think about this. What does it mean for you? Obviously, if you don't know the Lord, you need to come to Christ. You need to say, Lord, I, you know, I want to know what it is to have the kind of peace that people have when they know their sins are forgiven. You know, I'm totally convinced that a lot of people are terrified about what's going on because they're not right with the Lord. You know, we all have dispositions. We're all scared. We're all fearful from time to time. Things are looking up. Things are getting better. You know, don't you look back on it and say, oh, I shouldn't have been as fearful as I was, maybe. I don't know. I'm just saying we're human. But the point is that there's a peace that God gives to us when we know Christ. Let's close the service by singing together, Jesus is Lord of all. All my tomorrows, all my past, Jesus is Lord of all. I quit my struggles, contentment at last, Jesus is Lord of all. King of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus is Lord of all. All my possessions and all my life, Jesus is Lord of all. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day.
We thank you for bringing us together. We thank you for our good health. We thank you, Lord, and pray that as we think of your goodness to us, that we can rejoice. We can rejoice in the fact that you are on the throne, that you are taking care of us, that you will watch over us. We do pray for those who are dealing with issues, uh, physical in nature perhaps, and we ask, Lord, that you would restore them to strength and that you would give them their health back. And, Lord, we pray that as we are dismissed today, that we are dismissed with a perspective that keeps this all in its place. In Jesus, your name we pray. Amen.